Hello and welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking with some more recent events talking about a few things that have been going on and also a few things that actually are going to be going on in the coming weeks as well. So obviously we're all waiting for this UAP report which has been delayed. I have talked about that in a couple of other episodes recently as to exactly how that came about and why we were expecting this report in the first place and also some of the reasons as to why we may not be getting the report in a timely fashion. But I'm not going to talk in too much detail about that just now. I think it's probably just a case of waiting and seeing as and when that does happen, when the report does come out and and indeed if it does come out because I suppose from the way things are looking, there's no absolute guarantees that it is going to come out. But um, the only thing I would add in terms of uh, an update is there has been quite a lot of speculation that the report has already been handed in to Congress and that there's it's been rewritten and things of that nature. But the most recent update that I've seen, and obviously this can change from one day to the next, I'm recording this on a Tuesday, for all we know the report might come out on Friday when this episode's about to go out, so... Obviously, it's always worth checking to see what the most recent updates are, but one of the most recent updates that I've seen was on November the 16th, which actually is going all the way back to last week. Uh, John Greenwald had received correspondence uh, from the ODNI, and the signed letter that he received said that as of the date of this communication, the report has not yet been provided to Congress. So in terms of the report, that's the latest really that we've heard about it. There's not been any updates since to suggest anything otherwise. So we're just going to have to wait and see until that actually does come out. Um, but just in general, you know, there's plenty of other things. Looking forward to the festivities of the at this time of year and whatnot to keep us occupied. Uh, I've been building a Christmas village, a little Christmas village made of models and things like that. I'll probably post some pictures of that on Twitter uh, and on the Patreon as well at some stage. The grand plan that I have for that is to make a, a UFO crash retrieval scene, but it's not that easy to find the time to do it, obviously. But um, I'm actually looking for some little three-inch minifigures of like a military people or FBI or something like that to be investigating the crash retrieval scene, but they're pretty hard to find. As you can imagine, generally Christmas village scenes that you buy in garden centres and things at this time of year don't generally tend to in- include a crash retrieval pack or anything like that. So if anybody does know of any good, reasonably priced sort of um, military or F- FBI sort of investigative team uh, minifigures around three inches, because they have to be three inches to fit in with the scale of the rest of the village, do let me know, please. Anyway, <laughs> bit of an aside there. Uh, to do with my festive model building but getting back to the things that have been going on or actually in this case some things that are going to be coming up so something i keep meaning to mention uh, on the podcast but i haven't got around to doing uh, in too much detail until now is a upcoming event which i would recommend is definitely worth checking out and uh, it's called an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon and it's actually been set up by founders J. Christopher King and James Iandoli, uh, both of uh, 
who doing great work in, in the topic at the moment. Uh, Jay Christopher King is also the founder of the Experiencer Group, which deals with support and, and providing a support network for people who've had anomalous experiences and, and been impacted by them. And generally anybody who I've had on the podcast who has had those kind of experiences, particularly if they've been traumatic, um, I, I always do try and point them in the direction of the Experiencer Group because I think they're doing very good work in that regard. And... Um, James Iandoli is somebody who's actually been on, on, on the show. He was one of my first guests, actually, when I first started the podcast. Uh, All-round uh, very lovely guy and uh, uh, somebody who's very active in the CE5 and uh, HICE uh, community as well, which is something I find fascinating. And uh, the event that they're putting on features some pretty spectacular guests. I mean, it's quite a stacked lineup. We've got Christopher Mellon, the former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defence for Intelligence, somebody who's been hard at work on kind of helping to, to forge a path for the uh, recent legislation that's been working itself through in the uh, United States. Also, Leslie Kane, a journalist who, who has been involved in some pretty huge articles for the New York Times and has also um, written some very influential books and also uh, recently did um, had, had a part to play in the netflix series surviving death which is a fascinating series as well definitely recommend uh, if anybody's looking for something to watch over the over the coming weeks especially over the holiday season and there's just a, a real stacked list of people who are going to be speaking at this event in addition to the two that i've just mentioned so i'd recommend uh, to go and check out the full lineup and, and see if it's something you'd be interested in live stream tickets as the, as of the time of recording this are still available the event itself is on december the 3rd um so obviously we've got a couple of weeks until the event itself now the thing is with this is that it's actually available as an in-person event but i believe they're now sold out if you are in new york obviously you've got the option to actually go there in person I am definitely not in New York, so I don't have that option, and I definitely can't be getting myself over there. So um, I'm going to be going down the live stream route, and the live stream is going to be uh, live during the whole event, and it's actually from 12 p.m. Uh, out there in New York, which equates to around about 6 p.m. here in the UK. I'd have to just check the exact time because we've just had our clocks go back uh, over here in the UK. But it's basically going to be a, a, around about 6pm-ish and it's going to be going on for quite some time. So I actually finish work around that time on a Saturday. I have some quite unusual working hours. So I'm planning on finishing work, coming home, getting some popcorn, maybe a couple of beers and uh, I'm going to be tuning into the live stream. And I believe there is a live chat as well for this event. So you'll find me in the chat if anybody who's listening has already got a live stream ticket and... Um, or is planning to get one, which I think is is well worth it. I mean, the the work out at around about thirty dollars for the live stream ticket, um, which is not the cheapest price tag, but I think it's well worth it to support an event like this, which is a real uh, grassroots organised event. It, this isn't something that's got big sponsors or anything like that. Obviously, they've got a pretty large bill to pay for the actual hiring of the room where the event takes place and you know covering people's expenses to get the speakers there and i know from having been involved in putting on some similar events uh, in the uk um i'm not so much putting them on myself but helping you know just here and there with with other events that i've myself spoke at is that these things don't tend to make a lot of money there's a real 
you know, misperception in, in, you know, the UFO community sometimes where people think that people are raking in vast sums of money. Everything costs a lot of money to put on and the time and stress that it takes to put these things on. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, there are some instances where certain money grab type of schemes do happen, you know. I'm not suggesting that that's not the case, definitely is occasionally. But I, I think that when when somebody is coming from the right, you know, motivation in terms of bringing the community together, trying to put on an event that's going to be informative, delivering value for money, you know, particularly when it's, you know, very good guests that are not just kind of like the merry-go-round of like this person appears on everybody's podcast and does an appearance at everybody's conference and things like that. When it's people who are genuinely trying to push the topic forward and uh, create an event led by people from the UFO community who are interested in this topic, for people from the UFO community who are interested in this topic, I think it's well worth supporting it. And over here in the UK, we've got um, UFO Identified with their uh, fantastic Minicon, which was, I mean, there has been various other UFO events, and I know a lot of people who've been to them, and myself have been to them, and obviously I was at the Minicon and did a little bit of speaking at that particular event as well. And by all accounts, the UFO identified Minicon was, you know, one, you know, pretty much at the top of the tree in terms of uh, the quality of the event and and the experiences that people came away from it, and that that is great to see. And again, that's another example of a, you know, people who are, are not in this to make a quick few few dollars or a few pounds you know people who are just trying to create good events pushing the topic forward bringing people together giving people a good informative experience and you know have a bit of fun along the way and i think that it's exactly the same kind of thing over there in new york with uh james and jay uh, doing a fantastic job of, of bringing in really interesting speakers who are going to add new things to the conversation and push the topic forward and bring people together uh, unfortunately i had to miss the first one this is actually the second uh, event the first one at your work commitments and various other things going on i, I wasn't able to uh, to make it for that one but uh, i've already got my ticket for this one on, on december the 3rd and um yeah so if anybody else is looking to um to buy a ticket if you go to at inquire anomalous um which is actually spelled slightly differently but i think because of the twitter um you know the the limitation on the amount of characters you can put in your handle so let me just um spell it out so it's at i n q u i r e a n o m a l u s so anomalous is spelled slightly differently there um Again, probably because of the um, the limitations on characters. So, but if you go to that Twitter handle, you can find all the links. The link is in a pinned tweet so where you can get a live stream ticket and that kind of thing. And I know quite a few other people who have got tickets as well uh, who are going to be uh, watching the event live. And it's also worth pointing out as well, which is this is something I didn't realise for the first event. You can actually get an, a link in your email on the day of the event or the day after i'm not exactly sure but one way or another you get a link so that you can then watch back the event so even if you can't make it on the day you can actually watch the event back at your leisure um but even if you're not going to be in attendance um i think some of these speeches and, and presentations and things that are given by the speakers will be available on youtube and uh, eventually but it does take a little while for them to go through there but as i say well worth supporting that event i think um 
one of the one of the good ones definitely worth uh, checking that out and by the way i'll leave links to that in the description just to make it a bit easy to find um especially with the, the slight discrepancy in the spelling and another thing that i'm going to leave a link to in the description is this fantastic article the loose threads by the hermetic penetrator and omega point now this is an article that i've actually had a chance to read now last time i mentioned it on the podcast i just said that it's out in passing and you might want to check it out um, so now I've, I've read uh, most of the article, I, I am going to reread it and, and go through it in a bit more detail as well. But essentially, it's 246 pages long. So it's basically a book at that, at that point. And it, and it really is uh, an incredible bit of research presented in a very easy to read way. It's not kind of tied up in like over the top language. It's, it's very kind of um, plainly written. In, in simple English that allows you to sort of understand exactly what's going on and, it, and it's it's written very well so, so it's uh, it's quite an enjoyable read and essentially um, what it's getting at is the concept of a group of high level intelligence individuals from the, the intelligence community in the United States scientists who have been open-minded enough to work on certain strange aspects of, of our reality and, and um, things like remote viewing and some of the more out-there topics that mainstream science of, often won't touch, that have been involved in secret government programs in a lot of cases, working on various things, having had a loose affiliation going back decades now, and this has been in various forms over the years, but essentially this loose affiliation has been a group of what myself and, and Dave Smethurst um, talk, talk about this quite a lot. Obviously, you guys listening will, will know Dave. We, we refer to it as the, uh, the in-the-nose and the wanna-nose. And what we're talking about with this group of people, these scientists and intelligence operatives and things in the United States, is they are basically even though many would consider them to be very knowledgeable about some of this, certainly a lot more knowledgeable than the general public, they are still essentially one and knows. They're wanting to know the true extent of what is held in the most secret government programs, which perhaps is a very, very small amount of people who are actually clued up on what really is held in terms of crash retrieval materials, whether it be debris, whether you think that it might be a little bit more interesting than that in terms of genuine clear signs of non-human made materials or even going all the way to damaged and destroyed craft or even possibly intact flying saucers and non-human vehicles that have been recovered in fully intact form and if you look at the various documents like the wilson davis notes it would certainly seem to suggest that it's a lot more interesting than just something like a bit of a fragment of metal or some kind of unusual blob that's fallen out of the sky it certainly seems to suggest that there's a lot more happening there in, in these really hidden away programs now these wanna knows have been on a quest for a long long time to actually figure out what is really known by the the in the nose, if you will, these the people who tightly control this information. Now, I do tend to think, as I've said many times on the podcast, that there may be good reason why such a tightly controlled group exists. You know, it, it does stand to reason, doesn't it? I mean, if you just kind of take out all of the other outside perceptions and, and, and all the rest of it and think about what we're discussing here, 
the the concept of a non-human piece of equipment technology maybe even a craft potentially even bodies or you could go so far as to say even live creatures or live biological entities you know if that kind of thing has been recovered it's not the kind of thing that you would just let anybody find out about and you wouldn't read anybody into that unless you were absolutely certain that it was essential to do so and what this what what i took from this uh this paper loose threads is it goes back to the history of a lot of this kind of thing the individuals who've been involved and crash crash retrievals and what may or may not have been recovered and the efforts that these one and all's went to to actually try to get an edge to be able to access some of this more deeply buried information and again i think sometimes there's a bit of a perception on ufo twitter of you know oh the, the u.s government knows everything and they've got a plan and they're basically trying to roll out you know what they know to the general public so that they can drip 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 and then eventually they can tell the public about what they know and so on i do tend to think of that slightly differently i think that there's a lot more nuance um to that there may be a plan from some loose affiliation but i think that plan is more coming from a group of one and knows rather than a group of in the nose a group that have seen certain things that strongly lead them to believe that there are very very hidden away deeply hidden away programs and deeply hidden away groups perhaps within private industry that are controlling whatever materials and whatever knowledge has been gathered but i don't think it's a case that you know the the, the majority of the u.s government and intelligence community and, and and black budget programs community you know know all about this stuff and, and they're just kind of gradually wheeling it out to the public I think it's much more likely to be a case that there is probably a plan in place, but it's more from that loose affiliation of one and knows the in the knows it wouldn't really make any sense for them to want to wheel this out to the general public because they've kept this so tightly controlled and again if you if you look into this for a little while, they've gone to some pretty extreme lengths to keep it so tightly controlled as well based on some of the testimony from people who have had you know some uh, some pretty uh intense kind of threats and things made against them it's not exactly the case that the the in the nose are particularly keen or willing to get this out to the public so to me some kind of disclosure rollout plan in that regard doesn't make a whole lot of sense and i'm not really seeing much to point towards that but if you look back at, at these you know the, the individuals that were involved in in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s you know a plan that essentially in my opinion kind of set the scene for what we're seeing today you know have what lou elizondo was described as a five pillars you know where each of these things has to be built up at the same level like getting the public aware making congress aware you know introducing certain aspects of the conversation at a key point and essentially if you want you know to get to these programs you may have to get congress to be aware that there is something going on and the public has to be sufficiently interested or a, a, a sufficient amount of the public has to be interested to be able to generate the the interest and, and the push that congress needs to then get congress interested and and then once congress is interested you can start to draft legislation to actually change the laws so that you can protect whistleblowers so that they can come out and reveal the things that they have you know the things that these whistleblowers have told these high level one and o's like your chris mellons 
you know, your, your Eric Davis, your Lou Elizondo, they've seen enough that they're absolutely convinced and they've been told enough that they're absolutely convinced that there really is something to this. Something is being held there uh, by the US government by a very tiny percentage of the US government, because it's very important to get that nuance in there. The US government is, I remember looking this up, it's, it's however many hundreds of thousands of people. All of those people do not have a clue about any of this. You know, Even people such as Christopher Mellon himself and Eric Davis and Lou Elizondo and some of these you know, people that have been very credentialed, very high up within their uh, previous roles, even they haven't been able to access you know, what really is going on. And if you look at the Wilson Davis notes, that's a similar similar kind of thing. We're talking about Eric Davis, you know, an extremely credentialed and experienced and highly respected government, you know, government contractor, you know, scientist. And he's having a conversation with somebody who's basically you know, right up at the top of the tree in terms of the intelligence world somebody who would expect that if they went looking and knocking on doors they would be able to find out what was going on and what was being held and the fact is that conversation that was recorded is basically the kind of thing that i'm talking about they are one and knows they're trying to find out they've had very clear indications that something's going on and when they've knocked on those doors they've been turned away and told that actually you know you you can't have access to that information and that would be very concerning and that essentially was what was being expressed in those notes that you know admiral wilson had tried to knock on those doors and he'd been turned away you know he tried to locate certain things and and had been unsuccessful in doing so despite you know being very convinced from what he'd seen and what he'd been told that that was actually there and a lot of that conversation was about trying to figure out ways to push forward in that regard and again i think that is a representation of what i'm talking about a group of of one and knows who are trying to access this stuff and and the point is that at this moment in time we are closer than ever in terms of you know securing that interest within the public a rational in a rational way not a kind of wacky spooky x-files music you know let's let's all have a bit of a laugh about little green men and people being probed. You know, that is a thing of the past now. Uh, well, to a large extent, there may, there may still be elements of that, a hangover from the stigma era, if you will. Um, but these days, things have changed quite a lot. And and I, I notice it when I talk to people about the podcast. You know, I mention, oh, yeah, I do a podcast about UFOs. I don't tell everybody about that, but certain people that I know, and people aren't like, oh, flipping out, what's he doing? You know, people are like, all oh, right, cool, yeah, I saw this thing. It sounded really interesting. You know, that kind of thing. There is a, a real interest with the public. There is a real desire within Congress now, you know, for, for people to take this seriously, and, and they understand that the public want to know about this. It's not just kind of wacky you know, conspiracy theories. There really is something to this. A lot of high-level high individuals who've been right up at the top of the tree are convinced that this is worth looking into. And legislation is now moving through in the States to try and make that a reality, to give the, the, the answers to the public that the public are demanding, quite rightly so. And it, it just made me think, reading this, this Lou's Threads article, of, you know, it, it, it kind of paints that picture of this high level group of one and o's and how that has progressed over the years and it's a, a very interesting a really really interesting uh, thing to read if, if you've got the time and 
if you're not a big reader and you still want to get a good picture of what's going on, uh, Amiga Point actually did a fantastic interview with Richard Dolan where they go through some of the real key points in this in this paper, uh, in this document. And that's well worth checking out. It's on Richard Dolan's YouTube channel. I think the channel's called Intelligent Disclosure. Again, I'll leave a link to it in the description, as I mentioned earlier. And it's, it's well worth uh, having a watch of that, even if you've already read the article, because it does kind of make you think again about certain key points. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating to get into that detail. And obviously, you know, it's coming from Amiga Point, who actually was one of the people who wrote this article. So uh, very, very interesting indeed. And... Um, it ties in with a lot of the stuff that I was just talking about as well and explores lots of other areas uh, alongside that as well. And I think one of the key points that Amiga Point is putting across in, in that interview, and, and this comes across very strongly when you read the actual document as well, when you read the paper itself, is the importance of remote viewing. And I suppose really as well, a lot of the other more kind of you know out there aspects of the phenomenon, some of the strange you know, high strangeness and, um, you know, some of the experimental science that comes along with this. But in particular, remote viewing being a key element of what was being explored. And it does make sense that if some kind of a extremely advanced technology does exist, it could well be intermingled with consciousness. And, you know, Grant Cameron has talked about at great length that, these technologies are actually controlled by consciousness like there's not really a gap between consciousness and and your actual kind of you know your conscious self and the technology the two things are completely intermingled you don't actually control it with a joystick or a steering wheel your mind actually controls the craft is the way that grant cameron talks about it and uh, obviously grant cameron is somebody who's very knowledgeable about this he's been looking into the topic for a long long time and um, and he's actually done some some excellent interviews recently as well, which are worth checking out. Um, one on the UAP Studies uh, podcast, which is very interesting. I'd listened to that just yesterday. And I think he's just appeared on that UFO podcast as well and done a, an interview there. So well worth checking out. And, and um, Grant Cameron was actually a key sort of player in confirming the validity of the Wilson Davis notes and he he's you know had them for years and years before they were publicly available and uh, and played quite a, a key uh, part in in verifying the provenance uh, of these notes and um yeah so anyway main thing is I'm not going to talk about it for too much longer I'm actually planning on doing a show with Dave where we're going to break down some of our key takeaways from uh, the loose threads article and uh, you know go into a bit more specifics about the the in the nose and the one and nose and how all of that works and whether or not there may be a, a plan uh, you know a kind of a disclosure rollout plan where that's coming from who's involved and we'll, we'll get into that in a much longer episode where and myself and Dave will, will break that all down in some more detail. Planning on doing that probably over the coming weeks. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that if that kind of thing does interest interest you. And as I say, definitely worth checking out the Loose Threads article and the Amiga Point interview. Really, really good uh, work that those guys are doing. So uh, moving on from that, the new series by Graham Hancock 
entitled Ancient Apocalypse, uh, which has been on Netflix. Now, this isn't directly UFO related, but it kind of is in, in another way as well, because I think what, what Hancock has been getting at for a long time and Randall Carlson and uh, a number of other people, particularly uh, Uncharted X on YouTube, who does an absolutely fantastic job of, of documenting some of these um, anomalies from our distant past, which don't seem to, to add up. What a big part of what all of these people are pointing out is, is that there are things from our distant past that we thought we understood, but we didn't. And there may be a lot of other things about our reality, about our universe that we live in, our understanding of that universe that are also a kind of a similar thing. You know, in terms of what we're experiencing with the UFO phenomenon, perhaps if there were advanced civilizations on this earth many thousands of years ago, way before we thought there ever was, perhaps they understood certain aspects of our reality that we didn't. And all of that thing, all of that kind of thing sort of links in, in, in some, some ways that are fairly tenuous and other ways that are perhaps a little bit more direct uh, with the UFO phenomenon. And I think in this particular series it's a really good kind of up-to-date summary presented very, very nicely, you know, incredible, um, you know, photography, the, the cinematography of it uh, is, is amazing, you know, compared to anything that I've seen before with a lot of the things that he's talking about Hancock. And I, I'm a big fan of Graham Hancock. I have been for a long time. Um, I've mentioned Graham Hancock's work on the podcast before in quite some detail. First heard about him years and years ago on the Joe Rogan podcast. I'm a sort of long time mixed martial arts fan. So as a result, ended up getting into the Joe Rogan podcast because Joe Rogan's a, a commentator with the UFC and has been for, for as long as I can remember. And um, Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson became sort of returning guests on the Joe Rogan show. So I've been a big fan um, all those years. But very important to point out, just because I say that, that doesn't mean that I agree with everything that Hancock has said and does say and will say in the future. You know, you can be a fan of somebody's approach and enjoy listening to them talk without agreeing with everything they say. And to be honest, there has been things in the past, particularly, especially going back quite some time, that, that Hancock has perhaps been willing to dip his toe in certain waters that, that I perhaps wouldn't, you know, take a swim in, if you will. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, worth bearing that in mind. But I think this particular series is is like I said, beautifully shot. It's great to see these locations that are discussed that, that have these anomalies from our distant past in them. It's great to see those locations presented in such great detail. Uh, many of these these places I was already familiar with, I was aware of and things, but this really brought them to life, you know. And I, and I also think that Hancock took a, a very carefully thought through approach to this you know, often with these types of historical anomalies, people will point out the anomaly itself, which is a genuine case of something significant being wrong about our understanding of the past. And this anomaly, you know, can present a, a major problem for the establishment voices who have kind of a vested interest in maintaining the existing version of events as understood by the mainstream explanation you know of, of that particular period of history and what often happens in my opinion is that once the anomaly has been presented and very well proven you know in a lot of cases 
and backed up with archaeological archaeological evidence and and you know testimony from subject matter experts and things then sometimes there can be a bit of a leap made okay so the ancient egyptians had these unexplainable structures so it must have been built by aliens you know that kind of thing um, obviously i'm not suggesting that 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 is what's said in this series at all but i'm saying you know sometimes with anything that's a, uh, an intriguing historical anomaly these kind of leaps are very easy to make aren't they you know we don't understand this so what if it's something really really crazy and obviously as we know there's many youtube documentaries and, and tv shows and things that kind of go down that path um and I think you know there's no problem though with some speculation around these kinds of things you know and uh, as you'll know if you listen to this show I I'm not afraid of speculating I'll go down some pretty strange speculative paths but I always kind of caveat that with it's interesting to speculate but then once you've done your speculation you then have to apply kind of rigorous scientific methodology to figure out if there is anything to that speculation and that's very very important to, to keep in mind um and there's no problem with you know people like Hancock speculating. Anybody's free to speculate. You know, you, I hate this idea that you're either kind of a pure data-driven scientific way of thinking about things, or you're a woo-woo fantasist speculatist. Speculatist is that even a word? You know what I mean? Um, because it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you can speculate and then apply scientific thinking to your own speculation, see if it holds water. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But sometimes when you do make those leaps, particularly if you present them as fact, it really plays into the hands of those who want to dismiss your work, you know, because they can just dismiss your ideas as like wacky or whatever, you know, and, and perhaps, you know, I'd even go so far as to say maybe Hancock has kind of fallen into that trap a little bit in the past, you know, but we, we do see here a wiser Hancock, you know, who is kind of aware of that. And he's aware, I think, I, I got, really got the impression watching this that he's aware of the platform that he's been presented with here, you know, a major series on Netflix. And being aware of that, he, he kind of focuses on presenting the anomaly in the most compelling way possible and asks the question, why are our best and brightest subject matter experts and scientists, archaeologists, not looking at this with more urgency? And, you know, that that is so key to do. And, and again, I mentioned Uncharted X earlier on. Uncharted X is, is very much a similar kind of approach to that. And I think, I think it actually, that reflects like a more up-to-date, modern, forward-thinking way of looking at any anomalies. And this is where it ties in with the UFO thing, in my opinion, because for all we know, if there were, you know, civilizations that existed before and before the ice age then perhaps they were advanced in ways that we don't really understand and there were certain parts of our reality that they had got their head round that we haven't now got our head round and just to be clear about what what graham hancock is actually talking about here as well i mean obviously i would recommend watch the whole thing because there's no one that could better explain it i don't think than, than graham hancock himself in a, in a really sort of high production value netflix series so you know I, i'm just going to summarize it but basically uh, and this is what graham's been talking about for years now is that there may have been much more advanced civilizations capable of things that we didn't think they were capable of going back many many years even to before some kind of cataclysmic event that happened uh, where the the earth was plunged into an ice age 
most likely by some kind of incoming um, meteor asteroid strike and that then completely changed the face of the planet and whatever was left you know after this was forced to kind of ride out the the ice age period and and then the ice age itself was then ended in a very dramatic and violent manner by another cataclysmic event and whatever was left after that was forced to kind of pick up the pieces of this you know complete change that had happened in the world pick up the pieces of what knowledge they had left and um try to to rebuild and preserve that knowledge as, as best as possible and there are many examples now of an extremely capable civilization in the distant past and you know graham hancock again does a great job of, of going through the specific cases and certain things that don't seem to fit with our version of events and randall carlson is brought in at one point to talk about the things like the channeled scablands uh, in the states where there's these incredible you know areas the vast areas of, of land that have been carved out by rapid floods generated by the uh, well allegedly generated by you know the the rapid melting of huge glaciers and which then caused a dramatic shift in sea levels all across the entire globe and then there were areas that would have been for a long long time during the ice age that would have been completely uh, exposed that suddenly became underwater and a lot of these um a lot of these you know civilizations that that did exist during the time of the ice age would have found that the the entire planet they lived on dramatically shifted overnight and you know this leads you to consider things like atlantis which is a bit of a dirty word you know i know there'll be people listening to this now thinking oh no he's talking about atlantis but look let's be honest there is pretty compelling scientific evidence that the sea levels change very dramatically and if there was some kind of advanced civilizations on this planet as seemingly evidenced by you know extremely advanced megalithic structures all around the world that don't seem to fit with what civilization was supposedly capable of at that point in time is it really that outlandish to think about something like an atlantis scenario you know a, a very advanced civilization had a, a pretty you know a pretty large and extensive city with, with a whole uh, you know community of people living there perhaps with much more advanced technology than what we thought they had which was completely covered by the sea when the sea levels rose during the melting of the the glaciers at the end of the ice age i mean it's it doesn't seem a particular stretch to me now was atlantis some kind of like you know beings made of light that could you know travel around the world and, and add incredibly advanced technology see that's where it gets a little bit one of those leaps that i was talking about and more speculative we can't definitively prove anything like that i mean it's a it's a wonderful story to think about but i think where graham hancock did really well in this particular series was to not go too far down those paths and just stick to pointing out you know the the inaccuracies in our understanding of the past and um you know making a very compelling case to investigate this much further and frankly um you know the criticisms that he that he is inevitably going to receive for questioning the sort of currently understood version of events is um you know it is kind of really just proving his point that, that a lot of people who are trying to uphold the current paradigm you know don't want to have that questioned 
and again some of the critical responses that is received uh, are, are very much kind of um, pointed that out but I think um, overall, I mean, it's just great to see somebody who I've considered very compelling. Like I say, don't agree with everything he says, but I think he's a very intelligent man and he's, he's done a great job of, of really kind of making it his life's work to point out these historical inaccuracies. And it was great to see him getting that vindication. I mean, when I looked, he was number two on all TV programs on Netflix in the UK. I mean, that must be an amazing feeling for somebody who's been, you know, ridiculed for having the, the audacity to question, you know, the mainstream sort of narrative uh, in this regard. And um, great to see that vindication for Graham Hancock there. And going back to the parallels with the UFO uh, topic, I think it's quite similar, actually. You know, having that having that thing of, of being open to things that can seem extraordinary, but basing your kind of model on pointing out the inaccuracies, pointing out the actual scientific data and pointing out the sheer number of UFO reports and the individuals that have been personally affected and using that as a compelling case for much more rigorous scientific investigation. That's kind of what's been happening over the last like five, 10 years. I suppose you're going back way, way before that as well. But I mean, certainly i've seen it since being deeply involved in the topic over the last you know three four years it's really going towards that you know let's let's get you know scientists on board with this let's get you know congress aware of this so that they can answer these questions that the, the public has you know i don't think there's many people really if you sat down with them and were completely open with them um you know just look what do you think do you think it's worth looking into this it surely it is it's one of the biggest questions you can possibly imagine isn't it like what happened in the past like how come there's these crazy amazing huge structures that that you know exist all around the world like i thought these people hunter gatherers like what the hell why is there enormous pyramids in the middle of the jungle you know why are there incredible you know um hundred ton granite boxes in in a tiny little tunnel in the serapium in egypt that have perfect right angles you know, I thought these people were using copper hand tools. This doesn't make any sense. And when you're talking about UFOs, how can there be tens of thousands of sightings every single year if there's nothing to this? How can there be a case like the Tic Tac case where we're literally talking about, you know, a, a dozen eyewitnesses, you know, jet pilots, fighter pilots, top gun fighter pilots, some of the most highly trained individuals in the world, you know, that are, that are literally trained to look at things in the sky and figure out whether or not they need to shoot it down, whether it might be a threat. These people flew a jet to an object that was doing things they couldn't explain. That same object was caught on radar by multiple very advanced sensor systems. You know, surely, you know, if nothing else, there's a very compelling case there to get our best and brightest scientists on board with this. You know, NASA have finally been dragged to the table you know, kicking and screaming, um, you know, what these kind of things will actually yield in terms of the results from these studies is yet to be seen. But I think that's kind of, it reminds me, and I thought this while watching the, the Hancock series, it's a similar kind of thing. There's enough of a glaring error in our understanding to be able to finally make the case, you know, pretty definitively that this is a compelling mystery that needs to be looked into. And again, 
then you can go to interesting speculation about what it may be. And then it's up to scientists basically to answer the question as to whether or not there is anything to that. And does that theory hold water? And um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, I'm, I'm often tempted when I do go down my um, my little paths of speculation, I'm often tempted to draw some links there to, you know, perhaps some of the, the errors in our, our own understanding of our distant past as humans could link into the phenomenon of ufos in ways that we haven't considered yet so as both of those trains continue on their tracks it'll be interesting to see how they actually link up down the line anyway so moving on another thing that's worth mentioning and this is actually quite a recent uh, thing that's just happened over the last uh, couple of days really i, I saw um uh, Tom Whitmore tweeted about this, and um, I've been following it a little bit as well. Uh, but uh, Tom had actually tweeted the press release, uh, which actually went out on the 18th of, of November. And uh, Tom posted it on the 19th of November. Um, and it's basically a, a the introduction of a newly established National UFO Historical Records Centre, which is a non-profit organisation headed up by... Uh, veteran ufo researcher and triangular ufo specialist david marler and it also includes uh, a team of people who who david marler is actually going to be leading uh, to establish the largest historical archive dedicated to the preservation and centralization of ufo and uap information in the united states now the archive itself is actually going to be based in albuquerque new mexico and the, the mission of this whole thing is to collect, preserve and provide historical UFO materials to the general public and anybody else who's interested. And with this data that's accumulated, uh, they are hoping to basically assist with anybody who's trying to do serious research into the UFO topic and to help with a, a, an accurate chronicling of UAP history for present and for future generations, regardless of whether they're sceptical, uh, the way they put it is regardless of belief or non-belief in the subject. And I think it's very, very important to have something like this. I mean, David Marler has been um, amassing a quite a large collection of documents and he was actually in the, um, the unidentified series where um, uh, Christopher Mellon actually went to visit him and, and had a look at his archives and he's literally got like rooms full of filing cabinets and other UFO researchers who you know sadly pass away um, have, have, have basically left their records and their archives to him and he's kind of brought them into the fold and, and at this point now he's taken it even to another level. And it's great to have all of that in, in one place. And I do hope, though, that these there can be some effort to digitalize that archive. That's the only thing I was thinking. Because, you know, if, you know, God forbid, there's ever some kind of a fire or something like that, it could be pretty horrendous to imagine that all of that could get destroyed. Um, or it could maybe get stolen or, you know, the, a flood could happen. You know, hopefully none of that ever happens. But it did occur to me that digitizing this this archive would be very good. And it would also allow you to be able to search as well. So if you made it into a searchable PDF, that would be unbelievably um, useful. And not only that, you know, when you consider the advances in artificial intelligence, it could actually end up leading to artificial intelligence being able to actually dig through this archive and, and 
do things that, that I probably can't even imagine. But uh, the, the the analysis tools that are going to be available with artificial intelligence over the course of the next few years and the, certainly the next decade, you know, something like that would be invaluable. But I suppose it's like anything, the sheer amount of time that it would take to do that, um, I'm not sure if that's on the cards or not, but I'm certainly planning on uh, trying to, to clarify that as we go along. And so on the press release, the, the context that's provided, it says, in recent years, there have been successive US government disclosures acknowledging the UFO UAP subject as a genuine phenomenon. Subsequently, multiple US military intelligence and scientific agencies have started adopting programs to study the subject, such as NASA and the AIAA. In addition, within the civilian sector, there has been an influx of new researchers into this field of inquiry. Many academics and scientists are included in this group. However, most of these parties do not have access to the vast array of historical materials and data sets in the hands of civilian US UFO UAP historians and researchers. In conjunction with this newfound respectability regarding the UFO UAP subject is the growing need to create more space for these historical materials. Individual US researchers and historians have amassed large collections of data over the decades. These have been home-based archives scattered throughout the country. The National UFO Historical Record Centre has been created to gather and centralise this historical UFO data in the United States into a singular freestanding facility. With the physical holdings residing in the Albuquerque area, these will be made available to those who visit in person, while efforts will be underway to actively digitise these materials for global accessibility. So there we have it. There are going to be efforts underway to digitise these. But as I said, how long that's going to take and how possible that's going to be with the vast amount of information that's there remains to be seen. It goes on to say, a vast array of UFO files and collections are already destined to be added to the growing inventory during the course of the next one to two years. Currently, the collection consists of materials from over 25 countries derived from 70 plus US and foreign individuals. Some of the largest US collections serve as the cornerstone for this centre. This includes diverse materials from the Centre for UFO Studies. We are also interested in anybody wanting to donate historical UFO UAP materials to us. Efforts are underway to acquire a building to house this national treasure and make it readily available to researchers, academics and the general public. Funding and donations will be vital to making this vision a reality. Thus, the creation of this non-profit organisation to facilitate achieving that goal. We look forward to working collaboratively with similar freestanding worldwide UFO UAP archives and those within the university setting. Together, we can preserve the history and perhaps gain insights into the mystery. And then it provides all of the contact uh, details there as well. So, as I say, they're clearly a non-profit organisation here. This isn't something where they're trying to profit and make money out of this. And I would, if anybody has the ability to do so, uh, I would, I would, you know, direct people to to donate to them, particularly for that digitising of these materials and also the housing of the physical materials as well, which is definitely um, worth worth doing too to preserve the original documents but for me 
a big part of the interest is that digitization and clearly clearly they have the interest there to do that but as i say the the sheer time and, and resources that they would need to do that um is is very considerable considering the amount of information that they have there so anybody who who can please do um, do what you can to support and um at some stage uh, i am hoping to get david marley himself on the podcast uh, to be able to talk about this uh, i have spoken to him and i was aware that uh, something big like this was coming but obviously uh, didn't mention anything about it until now and now it's actually been released so uh, i'm very pleased to see it so that is basically about all we've got time for uh, for today that's all the recent events pretty much well covered there i think so I hope everybody has enjoyed listening to my little rundown of all the various bits and pieces that have been happening. And um, as always, if you don't already, um, do think about supporting my podcast on Patreon. As you know, I don't have any advertisements running on the podcast or anything. You won't get any introductions, interruptions popping up of, uh, did you know you can now get insured on nine ninety nine a month from the blah, blah, blah network? Because I don't have those things on the pod. Um, and I would like to keep it that way if possible, because I just hate the world of being bombarded with advertisements all the time, especially when it's in the middle of a show. It's just so disruptive. Um, so if you can uh, and you're in a position to do so, you can support on patreon for as little as a couple of pounds a month a couple of dollars a month whatever your local currency is and it's very much appreciated thanks to the people who've been signing up recently as well uh, the new patreon supporters very very much appreciated and you guys help me to keep the show running cover all the various costs associated with the show and um, it's very nice to be able to get that support and hopefully as, as things move along i can actually dedicate even more time to the podcast i'd love to be able to do more than one show a week for example and um, but at the moment time doesn't allow that so we'll see how it goes as we move along but i hope everybody's just uh, doing well in general anyway hopefully these uh, these recent events have, have caught everybody up with what's been going on and um, some interesting bits and pieces and looking very much forward to the the end of this year the festive season i'm quite a big fan of christmas i have two little girls very young um who, who are both well particularly my eldest who's, who's coming up to four years old she's very excited about christmas this year as you can imagine so it's going to be nice to have a, a bit of a family christmas and uh you may see me appearing on some shows and things as well occasionally over the festive season and i've got a pretty cool uh concept for a if i say so myself pretty cool um christmas show as well for the for the podcast all ufo related of course and but with a little bit of a christmas twist in there too and um, also worth mentioning as well and um, i actually speaking of appearing on other shows uh, i actually appeared on the uh, colin Orbeans british british invasion part two as well uh, which was really fun to take part in and uh, dj and nathan and, and deb over at colin Orbeans, uh you know some of the nicest people that you could possibly hope to meet in the in the ufo community and um really knowledgeable and always great to chat with them and i just think what they've done with these these british invasion episodes obviously they're based in the united states and the british invasion episodes have been you know just gathering a load of people from the ufo community in the uk and getting everybody on to have a good old chat 
it's a lot of people that I've had on my show in the past, a lot of faces and uh, names that you'll recognize, a lot of voices that you'll recognize uh, over there. So uh, definitely go and check that out. It's the British Invasion Part 2 on the Calling All Beings um, YouTube channel slash podcast. Um, and yeah, well worth well worth checking that out uh, if, you, if you're interested in, in hearing that. So I'm going to leave it there for now. So until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. You have a podcast.